What are you afraid of? I did a little research on fears and phobias, something that you might be interested in doing if, since you're isolating at home right now, give you, give you something else to do. And, and it's actually kind of interesting to find out the things that people are afraid of. Some kind of make sense. Others leave you scratching your head. What, one of the things that I found was from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition of the American Psychiatric Association. And there it says that they divide our, our fears, our phobias, into five general categories. There's a fear related to animals, spiders, snakes. There's fears related to the natural environment, heights, thunder, darkness. Fears related to blood, injury, or medical issues. So if you've ever been afraid to get a shot or to give blood, falls into this category. Fears related to specific situations, flying, enclosed spaces and then there's a kind of a general category they don't have another place to put it things like fear of choking or loud noises or drowning they kind of fit in this this catch-all category of others well here's the reality from the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden fear has haunted us people have been afraid that's why God says to us so often through his word, do not be afraid. Fear not. You see, we slip so easily into fear, and God has to call us, call us back out of our hiding place and say, hey, listen, come up next to me. You need not be afraid. And God tells us that he is our rock, he is our our fortress, he's our, our shelter, he's our shepherd, he's our present help in times of trouble. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We thank you that today we come to celebrate his resurrection. We thank you that today we get to come and celebrate the hope that we have because of Jesus. But we also come, Lord, acknowledging that there are many things in this world that tend to make us afraid, fearful. And you call us not to be afraid, but to trust you, to cling to you, to, to come up next to you, to lean into you, and to find our strength and our courage, not in ourselves, but in you. And so, Lord, in this time particularly, we come to pray for those who are fearful and to ask, Father, that they may come to know you in a way that they can find that you are faithful and true, that you are their fortress, you are their shelter, you are their shepherd in times of need. Father, thank you for meeting us today, for speaking to our hearts, for challenging us to come, come out of our hiding place and for wrapping your arms around us to let us know you're there. Lord, continue to work in this time as we come and draw near to your word. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. This is indeed Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday, and we join with millions of Christians around the world who are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is, it's the heart of our faith. 
Without the resurrection, the Apostle Paul says, we actually we have no hope. That our faith is futile. It is, it's worthless. It has no value. If Jesus stayed dead, then we'd be foolish to believe in a resurrected Savior. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. We can simply eat, drink, and be merry, but tomorrow we will die, and then there's nothing. But if Jesus is alive, if the resurrection did occur, then we have a hope that cannot die. We have a sure foundation upon which to build our lives and a foundation to entrust our eternities that cannot be shaken. Now, you and I today, where we are, we stand on this side of the resurrection. In other words, we know the rest of the story. We know from Genesis to Revelation, God has given us his word to give us that assurance of not just what has happened in the past, but what he has planned for us in the future. But it was not so with those who followed Jesus through those dusty trails in Judea who sat and listened to him teach beside the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't true for those who gathered with him in that upper room and experienced him washing their feet. They didn't know what we know when they saw him arrested, when they witnessed his crucifixion, or when he was laid in that cold dark stone tomb they didn't know what we know and because they did not know it it brought intense grief upon them it was the death of their dreams it was a death of their hopes now they did understand some things they understood that jesus was not not some mere man they understood that Jesus was, was more really than even a prophet and was very likely the promised Messiah. They had invested themselves in him as their Savior. But what they were expecting was that Jesus would throw off the shackles of the Roman government who was oppressing the people. That he would chase out the corrupt religious leaders and that he would go and take the throne that belonged to the King David. And that he would reign there and bring peace and justice throughout the land. That's what they expected of Jesus. But now, from where they were, this would-be king, this hoped-for Messiah... He was just another corpse in the graveyard. Another dead body having been buried. And with that, their hopes, their dreams, the visions of what could be were buried along with him. Now, why do I paint such a grim and dark picture on this day? Because I think it's important for us to understand where they were. Not where we are now, where they were. 
And it sets the table for the scripture that we want to to share together in today in Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up Matthew chapter 28. We'll put the words here uh, on, on the screen so that you can have an opportunity to read along with us if you don't have your Bible handy. But it's always a good thing to be able to do this. And I'd encourage you, don't just stop reading this passage today. Just go ahead and take it all the way through to the end of Matthew's gospel and and as you do so, it'll certainly end up in that, that triumphal hope that we have there in Matthew chapter 28. But let's, let's look, let's, let's move ourselves back to where they were emotionally, spiritually. And now let's encounter the scripture. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And we will read here these verses. Now... After the Sabbath, so the Sabbath is a Saturday, okay? Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Father, help us to understand this, to embrace this, and to be embraced by it. Through the name of the resurrected Savior, Jesus, amen. So Jesus' body was taken down off the cross. It was taken by a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Interesting thing about him. He was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. That is, the religious leaders of the people. He was one of them, but he was also a follower of Jesus. And so he went and requested Jesus' body and took it. And he was met by another person of great stature among the Jewish people, a man named Nicodemus. You may remember him as the man that Jesus that came to Jesus by night, found in John chapter 3, the man to whom Jesus said, you must be born again. And so Joseph gets the body of Jesus. He brings uh, the burial cloth. Nicodemus comes and he's brought the spices. And they quickly uh, anoint Jesus' body for burial, wrap it in the burial cloths, and then put it in the tomb. In fact, it was a tomb that Joseph had hewn out for himself and his family knew, never been used before, and yet he wanted that to be the burial place of Jesus. And so the stone, a huge, massive stone, is rolled over the the entry to that tomb, sealing it there. Now comes the Sabbath. A Saturday when people have just, just on the other side of the celebration of the Passover, the deliverance of God's people from bondage in Egypt, 
the, the, the blood having put, been put on the doorpost so the angel of death would pass over the homes of the Jewish people who lived there. They've just celebrated this. This should be a time of great joy, and yet for those who followed Jesus, they spent the time in hiding, in, in fear, in mourning, not realizing that Jesus was indeed their Passover lamb whose blood spared them, whose blood saved them. That wasn't what they were thinking about. The farthest thing from their minds, in fact. And so our scripture picks up early on Sunday morning before light as the women come to the tomb. And, and this is how Warren Wearsby, that great Bible teacher, relates it. This is what he says. He said, The women who had lingered at the cross came early to the tomb, bringing spices that they might anoint his body. They thought he was dead. In fact, they wondered how they would move the huge stone that blocked the entrance to the tomb. Two angels had appeared, but one of them had rolled the stone away from the door. Of course, the soldiers on duty were greatly frightened by this sudden demonstration of supernatural power. The stone was not rolled away to permit Jesus to come out, for he had already left the tomb. It was rolled back so that the people could see for themselves the tomb was empty. Keep in mind, he writes, that these women, as well as the disciples, did not expect Jesus to be alive. A great earthquake shook the ground, the glorious appearing of one of God's angels there before them. It was enough to, to frighten these, these grizzled Roman soldiers. It was enough to petrify them with fear. But to the women, to the women the angel spoke, do not be afraid. I know you came today looking for the, the body of Jesus who was buried right here, but, but he's not here. He's alive, just as he said he would be. Come and see for yourself. Come and look in the tomb and see that he is not here. Now, typically, those who would tell you do not be afraid either do not fully understand your situation or they understand it far better than you do. That's the case right here. These women came expected to find a, a dead body, but the morning was nothing like they had expected. What they experienced was an, an intersection between heaven and earth. The earth, earth shook, the angel, the angel shone brightly. But the words of the angel to the women was soothing. Do not be afraid. Interestingly enough, that expression, do not be afraid, was the exact same thing that the angels told the shepherds at the birth of Jesus. The reason the angel could come with such an encouraging word for them, the reason that the angel could say to them, do not be afraid, was because he indeed did know something that they did not know. 
that Jesus' body was not in the tomb because he was now alive just as he promised. This world in which we live today, this world is filled with people and things that cause us, that lead us, that take us directly to fear. They come and they disrupt our lives. They, they threaten our livelihoods. They create anxiety and worry in us. In other words, fear is part of this fallen human existence in which we now live. Now, the world tries to encourage us. And, and listen, you've probably seen this during this coronavirus pandemic, right? The phrase, you've got this. That's what the world will tell us. You've got this. But God comes to us with a completely different and contrary word. Instead of saying to us, hey, you've got this. Instead, he says, I've got this. I've got this. This is why you don't have to be anxious, because I've got this. This is why you don't have to be afraid, because I've got this. In the case of Jesus, what appeared to be the tragic death of a great man was, in fact, the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan from the very beginning. This is why Jesus could tell his disciples, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. Get that. Jesus has, has been arrested, he's been tried, he's been crucified, but he understood full well that no one was taking his life from him. He could have called down 12 legions of angels and stopped it immediately. No one takes my life from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge... I've received from my Father. In this time, where so many people are afraid, where so many people are anxious, in this time, and perhaps even in the best of times, you're never going to hear me say to you, you've got this. Because the reality is, none of us have really got this. This life is about far more than simply surviving until it's over. We were made for more than that. We were made for a relationship with God who made the universe. Wait a minute. Not only were we made for that, what you need to hear today, what you need to hear today is that you were made for a relationship with God who made this universe. And since it was impossible for you to enter into that relationship on your own accord, in your own strength, by your own wisdom, or in your own goodness. Since that was impossible, that we, because we are stained with sin, because we are guilty in front of a holy God, because we could not come into the presence of God on our own, we could not get to God on our own, God sent his one and only son because he loved us to pay the price for our sin on the cross and to rise again to open the way for us to have life eternal 
with him. You don't get that by being good enough, by being righteous enough. You get it by being repentant enough and humble enough to say, I am a sinner in need of the grace of God. And what I cannot achieve for myself, what I cannot earn for myself, I come to receive this gift of grace, this gift of salvation through what the perfect Savior has done for me. And that's why in John 1 we read, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. When we know that we are accepted by the Almighty God, when we know that we have become His child through faith in His Son Jesus, when we know that our salvation is not dependent upon ourselves, that we haven't earned it ourselves, but that it is dependent upon the perfect sacrifice of a perfect Savior. When we know these things, then the phrase, do not be afraid, makes perfect sense. I need not fear death. Why? Because Jesus defeated death and i need not fear living why because jesus had promised to be with me always as paul put it for me to live is christ and to die is gain when the women came to that tomb early on that sunday morning They found the tomb was empty. It's still empty today. For Jesus was victorious over sin and death and hell. And those of us who are in Christ share in his victory. Do you share in that victory? If you do, that is reason for you to celebrate today. But if you do not, You need to know that there's a God in heaven who loves you. He is perfect and holy, and no offense, but you, like the rest of humanity, are not. You come in sin, stained by it. You come in selfishness, looking out for yourself. It doesn't mean you're as bad as this person over here, as bad as that person over there. The Bible says that we all sin. All of us sin and come short of the glory of God. And the good news is God knows that. He knows everything about you. And he loved you enough to send his son to die on Calvary's cross to pay the price for all your sin so that you might be clean before him and to rise again on the third day to open the way for you to have life with him in heaven forever and life with him on the earth until the day he calls you home. That can be yours. How do you receive that? How do you get that? You don't don't earn it. You don't even deserve it. You receive it. 
It's the gift of God. And it's for you. If you'd like to receive that right now, I'd like to help you pray. I know I can't be there with you. I would love to be able to put my hand on your shoulder and to lead you in prayer right now. I can't do that physically, but don't let where you are and where I am stop you from receiving the gift of God. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, if you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then I'm going to ask that you would pray this prayer with me from the heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. My life is stained with sin. I can't fix it. I can't undo it. I can't clean it. But you can. I believe with all my heart that you sent Jesus to die for me. And today, I confess my faith in a perfect Savior who paid the price on the cross for all my sin. Today, I choose to place my faith in Him. I believe that you have chosen me. And I will follow Jesus all my days. Thank you, God, for saving me, for loving me, and for making me your child. On this day, this Easter Sunday, I share in your victory. I pray this in the name of my Savior, Jesus. Amen.